Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Proudly brought to you by Cheese Links, bringing cheese and yogurt making to your kitchen. Cheeselinks.com.au Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today <laughs> to join this man and this woman in a podcast. I believe it's we've already never done, been that. done It's probably never been done before in a podcast. Actually, no, I think everything's been done in the podcast. Hi, welcome mm-hmm. to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Mr. Sarah Patterson, otherwise known as Kevin Hilliard. That's right, or Mr. Paddo for short. That's me. Yeah. That's me. All thanks to Cheese Links. And, uh, well, guess where Janet and Hutchie are right now? They're on the Gold Coast. Yorkie's Knob. Oh, is that right? Well, you're up with uh, with up all the uh, the gossip. I didn't know there was a thing called that, but there is Yorkie's knob up at Palm Coast. I have a nice big knob of cheese Absolutely. might be in order. Absolutely, and if you want to make your own cheese. <laughs> nice segue. Uh, cheeselinks.com.au, that is the website, Facebook, uh, all the uh, social media platforms, and, of course, the telephone. Remember that thing? Yep. It used to be that you just used it to make phone calls on. Not anymore. No. You can take photos of Yorkie's knob. <laughs> 52821984 is the number with a 03 before it. Yes, get yourself signed up for a cheese making workshop or organise to get some uh, cheese making equipment for yourself. Exactly. If you want to try it in your own kitchen. And you know, for uh, the younger audience listening, that 03 is uh, called an STD code. <laughs> We all know what that is. It's a prefix. Thank you. It's a prefix. That's what it is. It's a Yorkie's knob. It's the Yorkie's knob on the front of the thing there. 52821984. That is the number. Cheeselinks.com.au. Our guest this week. We've well, got a big oh, guest to uh, to celebrate a big milestone. Yeah. 18th of March, 1985, the very first episode of Neighbours Went to Air. Well, actually, on this day yes. that we're doing this very podcast. Exactly. So um, a mammoth anniversary, and we're going to uh, remind him of that and uh, see, because he's the only person that was there. He was. Stephen Dennis playing the role, role of uh, Paul Robinson, which he has done uh, for most of the years uh, since. And we also he's also a banging good singer as well. He's a multi-talented man. You would be amazed at what this man, the credentials this man has, and you're going to find well, out about a lot of them in this interview. I just thought I'd give you a taste of uh, his. Um, remember his uh, his hit. He was big in the UK. Don't it make was... you. Don't it make you want to no, throw gonna... up? No. Don't it make you want to brown don't eyes blue? Me. Don't it? Make... No, I'm going to do it. Oh, oh no, she's don't it sing. make you feel good? Oh, Steph and I apologise. <laughs> Uh, really? No, I do. <laughs> what was wrong with that? Oh, no, it was great. Uh, let's get to our guest uh, because uh, he is a beauty and, uh, uh, yeah, episode one of Neighbours yeah. and he's still there. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Stefan, thank you so much for being on our Humble Little Food Bites podcast. My pleasure. It's not a humble little uh, podcast at all. <laughs> no, no, it's world famous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stephen, I don't know so much about the, the character Paul Robinson spending a lot of time in the kitchen, but what about yourself? Now, that's funny you should say that because it's, like, I remember playing Paul Robinson back in 1985 <laughs> yeah. um, that, uh, and he was, when he was a university student and he couldn't boil an egg. He used to be fantastic <laughs> at making 10-foot-high sandwiches with his brother. But that was about – and then all, and then he sort of goes through this uh, epiphany, if you like, and becomes this mega businessman and all of that. And all of a sudden he's this wonderful uh, cook. And I thought, where did that come from? I had no idea. So, yeah, I think it's whatever suits the writers. Some some episodes you can't, can't boil an egg and other episodes you can uh, whip up a, a MasterChef banquet. Which is a testament to your acting ability because you actually have a chef's certificate, don't you? 
I do. I'm a qualified chef. But uh-huh. I haven't done it commercially for many, many, many years um, simply because I haven't needed to. And that, that's the thing. People um, say to me, uh, oh, so, you know, what made you become an actor? You're a chef. What made you become an actor? And it's like, well, actually, no. It's I've always wanted to be an actor, and I became a chef so I could become an actor. I know that sounds weird, but yeah. it was uh, on the advice. Of, I've said it many times. The advice of my my dearest father was, uh, he said, "Look, if you're going to be in show business, son, I think it's a good idea to get something behind you." And at, at the time, he said, "The two best jobs you can uh, you'll never be out of work is feeding people and burying people." <laughs> so I, I, I chose the former. Mind you, if he said it to me a couple of years earlier, I probably would have chosen the latter. Like every young you know, uh, young kid, I was obsessed with death and funerals and all of that. Oh, and okay. Probably, mind you, you know what I mean. Mind you, if you're a really bad cook, you can do both at once. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and, and be in show business because you'd make headlines. <laughs> so, so obviously, Stefan, you haven't had to fall back on 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 that, but it, I imagine it's come in handy just in in your home life to be able to have those skills to knock something together when you need to. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a, a, I guess it's a testament to my uh, career as an actor that I haven't had to fall back on it. Um, I, I mean, it was very good when I first came down to Melbourne. It, it was it, it, I was so glad that I had. Uh, become a qualified chef because I, I worked for about the first six years while I was building up my career. This was before I got the, the full time gig on Neighbours um, and working as as a chef. So it was it uh, it was very very good. Um, but yeah, I think probably one of the most sensible things that I did was teach my wife how to cook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was she was not not the greatest cook, um, and and that's that's being very uh, very generous uh, when we first met. And now she's fantastic. Um, and and <laughs> that's cooking that I have to do. <laughs> we, we, she she's uh, she's the boss of the kitchen, but um, I, I do go in and help her an awful lot, which is really weird because you'd think it'd be the other way around with my qualifications. But it's, yeah. it's always. But, and she actually even even hates it when I now when I tell her to do things. She says, "Are you telling me how to cook this?" And I'm like, uh, uh, "No, no." <laughs> Smart man. What what's your what's your go to dish if you do jump in the kitchen to knock something up quickly? Oh, because we're a family and we like family fare and, you know, easy. it's like tonight we're, we're making uh, mints and tatties. Now, you know, that sounds terribly boring and all of that, but um, our family just wolfs it down. It's it's like it, it's that's one of the go-tos or, or tacos. We mm. had taco chews, things like that. You know, so it, it's it's like any family. You know, we go, we, we try to feed feed as healthily as possible but as easy as possible with as little washing up as possible. Simplicity is key, isn't it? I mean, do you think we've gotten a little bit too uh, too clever um, sometimes when you dine out or go to a cafe or restaurant? Do you think it's more about um, appearance than substance sometimes? Oh, yeah, and, and that's the thing. And I, I think, you know, in reality, uh, that's why we go out to restaurants and why we have dinner parties because it gives us a chance to experience uh, food that we dream of, or you know, or would love, as opposed to food food that we need to keep ourselves uh, running, mm. um, and that's uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate, as I said. You know, I, I, my wife actually hates me cooking in the kitchen because uh, I was just about to say before, you know, I'll go for something simple, but I managed to use every single uh, utensil and pot in the entire kitchen <laughs> um, because you know I, I still have that mentality of oh, somebody else is going to wash it up for me. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, uh, that's not the case. You know, at the end of the kitchen's end of the day, it's uh, oh, that's I've got to wash those up as well. When you were working in uh, in Queensland as a chef on the Gold Coast, what I mean, what, yeah. what did you specialise in anything, or was it just a general kind of you working in one of the restaurants there? 
No, no, general. Um, sadly, I worked in probably the most boring and uninteresting <laughs> era of uh, cuisine that I can think of, which was the 70s. Yeah. Um, yeah. I used to on the Gold Coast. I, I mean, I, I got a bad reputation because, uh, and in fact, my first year I ended up doing a five-year apprenticeship instead of a four-year because the apprenticeship board made me redo my first year because I'd moved around too much. And I tried to explain to them that after three months in a restaurant, I pretty much learned everything I need to know about the, the food side of it. <laughs> and I want to move on to another place and learn more stuff. But they're like, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. And I'm like, I don't get you. This is I, I'm, I'm trying to learn about creativity and you're stifling me. So I, I, I actually learned far more once I'd left my apprenticeship than, uh, than I did in it. Um, probably the best part of my apprenticeship was when I uh, did my chef in college when I went to hospitality school and learned an awful lot there because they make sure that you learn everything the, the traditional way before you start learning any shortcuts. You, you learn the shortcuts at work and, the, and at college you learn the, the traditional way. All right. Stefan, long days on set, I imagine. Are you a coffee drinker? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, th- I thought I'd brought my coffee in with me, but I haven't. I've left it out. Bugger. Um, I'm, yes, I'm a bit of a coffee snob, actually. I, 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 I'm very, very particular about my coffee machine and, my, and the way I make my coffee and the way I make other people coffee. How do we, how do we like to take our coffee? Uh, I'm a latte boy, and, and in the last couple of years, I've become a soy latte, which is unbelievable. I never thought I would turn to soy milk. I used to always think people that drink, drink soy milk were having all end of themselves. Yeah. But, um, but now, I, I, and Gail said to me yesterday, so Gail, my wife, said yesterday, uh, you know, why do you drink the soy? And I said, well, to tell the truth, I actually prefer soy milk to, to dairy milk now. Um, uh, yeah, it's weird. It's just, it's, to me, it's got a gutsier, sort of nuttier, gutsier, creamier uh, appearance and taste. I'm pulling um, one of those faces now that yes. says that I just cannot. I, I've <laughs> never been able to stomach soy milk, and I've never been able to work out how anyone could. <laughs> See, and I was, and I totally understand that that face that you're pulling, even though I can't. <laughs> it's because I was exactly the same two years ago. I was exactly the same as you, and what it, it, it came about because I thought I was going to get healthy, and I. I, I stupidly went, but I shouldn't say stupidly because there's a lot of vegans out there. Um, I don't want to infa- offend anybody, but I, I turned vegan and it lasted about two weeks because I thought, hang on, I like cheese, I like eggs. Uh-huh. And then I, I and so I did uh, vegetarian for a couple more weeks or a month or so. And then I went, hang on a second, I like bacon. <laughs> <laughs> I like a chop. So yeah, now I just, I, I eat a lot less red meat, but yeah. But how do we get onto that? <laughs> oh, that's right, because that's, that's what turned me to soy milk. Yeah, that's right. So, when I was big, I, I started on soy, and I have to say, the first half dozen cups were a bit like, "What the devil? Who on earth? Why am I doing this?" And now I prefer it. I know, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking, Kevin. Yeah, you're thinking atheist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it Stephen Dennis talking to me or Paul Robinson? What's going on here? <laughs> Hey, listen, is there anything they haven't done to you as Paul Robinson? I mean, they've chopped off your leg. They've made you, they've made you have six marriages. You're an arsonist. You've had a nervous breakdown. You've Gone survived. To you've been to prison. You've survived a plane crash. <laughs> Did you hear that? I thought when you said an arsonist, I thought you said something else. <laughs> but what else can they do to you? Do you, do you think about um, what, what else can they throw at me? I'm pretty much nothing. I think I'm sort of running on empty at the moment, which is it's kind of good though because they uh, every now and then they they do run out of ideas with Paul. So I get a, a month or two of very lenient storylines. I, I kind of like that. 
you know, as, as an actor, I think it'd be the opposite. But I'm like, no, I like I like a, a late morning or a day off. Yeah, but, it, it is funny because I, I start to think now that my character is literally immortal because <laughs> it's been strangled, uh, shot, uh, at least one that I can remember, if not two, very, very serious car crashes. Uh, he's been pushed off a cliff twice or fallen <laughs> off a cliff twice. He's been pushed off the mezzanine level. Uh, he's had cancer. It's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, he's been stabbed. He's been, what, what he has, he's been blown up. It's, 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 you can't kill this character. I don't get it. You can't kill him. <laughs> That's very good. Well, they did. They did. Wasn't there a time there in the? Uh, I, I think uh, one stage when you came back after your break that they actually did try and kill you off. They were thinking about the writers were actually thinking about doing that. Yeah, yeah. Which is why the whole uh, uh, dismemberment game, the the the, uh, <laughs> the deficiency of the department, um, because uh, originally they were going to well, because today Paul Robinson, I think, is the only person in. Australian soap history that's actually gotten away with uh, murder, first degree murder, and grand arson. Uh, grand arson. Yeah. Mm. Um, and and the, the producers were racking their brains and thinking he's got to die. He's either got to be sent to jail forever, or or we've got to kill the character. And then they went, hang on a second, no, 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 we like the character. The character is really popular again. Everybody loves that Paul Robinson's back. So they we're in a real dilemma as, as to what to do and what sort of retribution because there's got to be some retribution, otherwise it's just mor- not morally right for the viewers. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they ended up uh, – originally it was going to be the uh, – they was going to lose a foot. And and the funny story is um, Chris Anderson, who was our chief stunt uh, Sunday and, and stunt coordinator at the time, I don't know if you know Chris Anderson, but he he had a, a rather tragic accident when he was doing a stunt over when they were filming the America's Cup in Perth, where he got squashed between two two of the big boats oh. and ended up having to have his leg amputated just below the knee. Anyway, well, Chris was working with us at the time, and the producer said, got an idea. How do you feel about this, Chris? We want to chop Paul Robinson's leg off, and if we chop it off just below the below, below the knee, uh, whenever we need to do a shot of Paul Robinson's leg, can we use you? And Chris oh. was like, yeah, no worries at all. <laughs> so, so they'd lined it all up. They go, right, Paul Robinson loses his leg just below the knee. And then three weeks later, Chris Anderson up sticks and moves to Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just worked beautifully. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, so. But we have actually, we've done it a couple of times with CGI where you've actually seen Paul Robinson. There was one time when he went to jail, I don't know, Four, three, four years ago or something, and there was the the old um, strip search before he's uh, before he goes admitted into the cell, oh. uh, and they actually Chris uh, Chris um, Anson, our director, actually uh, got the guys to do CGI, so it looked I'm standing there naked uh, from mm. the back, and you and you actually see that I haven't got a leg below the knee. Oh, well. bit, bit like Forrest Gump, bit like Gary Oldman. So yeah, well, special effects would have come quite a long way. It's interesting, Stefan, because um, you have been with the show since day one, apart from a, a, yep. a bit of a break, um, 1985. A bit and of break. The, 12 year break. <laughs> 12 year break, just a bit. <laughs> but, the, but the political landscape has really changed a lot since the mid 80s. And the neighbours' storylines have, well, oh. from what we can see, have been really progressive. For example, I mean, just in recent times, the show has added a, a transgender character. What have been your yes. observations in the way that the the show has kept with the times? Oh, I think it's remarkable, and, and I think that's 
the secret of a, a show like Neighbours, and it's not just Neighbours, it's Neighbours, Home and Away, Coronation Street, EastEnders, Payton Place, General, you know, all of them, all of the ongoing soaps. I think the, 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 the only way that they can survive is by uh, keeping up with the times. I mean, I know there's a... Um, there's a show over in in London, which I think has finally stopped going. A uh, uh, Agatha Christie uh, uh, play called The Mousetrap, and they tried to change that with the times. But of course, you know, with an Agatha Christie play that was written in the 40s or something, I think it was written in the 40s or 50s. You know, it's very very hard to change that. Whereas a show that we work on, where it is, as you say, the landscape that it's based on is always changing. So the show has to change in order to survive. And I think Mavis is, uh, you know, not only has it done it very well, but it's also uh, set a lot of trends mm. uh, in the world of soap and, and just television series full stop. Um, you know, we, we really have. We, we've, uh, we've, we've set a lot of trends and made a lot of benchmarks for other shows to, uh, to follow. No doubt about that. Stefan, do you have a sweet tooth? Do I have a – oh, my God, yes, I do. <laughs> I am the worst. I am the – I'm a chocoholic. I'm oh. anything. It's funny because just before I started doing this, excuse me, I was talking to my son because he's got a, a hell of a sweet tooth as well. And I was telling him about these uh, pretzel pillows that you can buy at good old Costco. Pretzel pillows? And what it is is that imagine a pretzel, but instead of the pretzel twist, it's like a little hollow pillow. <laughs> and inside the pillow is – Peanut butter, crunchy peanut butter. Oh. So you've got these salty, salty pretzel pillows with a peanut butter, sweet peanut butter filling in them. And I said, wouldn't it be great if you got a litre, which you can also buy at Costco, a litre of uh, maple syrup <gasps> and you you boil that down as if you're making it into toffee and then you drop the, the uh, these uh, pretzel, peanut butter pretzel pillows into that so they get toffee, maple syrup toffee coated oh. and then you coat them in chocolate. Have oh. I made your mouth water? Oh. Have I? <laughs> That's just creativity personified, isn't it? <laughs> two, two things there. I'm doing my Homer Simpson impersonation of him drooling. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 my, and my cardiologist is on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no. You, you, you hit the nail on the, uh, on, the, the, on the head there when you say sweet to And it's funny because my wife's the opposite. She's safely. It's, she's, she's a cheese and bickies and I'm a chocolate. Yeah. Uh, so you're an ice cream and Bickey's man as well or just chocolate? <laughs> oh, anything. Anything that's sweet and fattening is going to kill me quickly. <laughs> so, so you haven't felt um, as, as we, we all age and our metabolism and everything changes, Stefan, you haven't – have you had to adjust your <laughs> your diet in any way? Yes, I drink more red wine now. <laughs> oh, God, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's supposedly counteract the chocolate, you know, the antioxidants, et cetera, in the red wine, you know. In answer to that question, no, I, I kind of haven't. I've always been I'm, – I'm an eat-anything person anyway. Mm. I've been very, very gifted. I have no allergies, no uh, problems with eating anything. Cow manure is one I'd probably stop at, but, you know, hey, coat it in chocolate, it might be good. Um, <laughs> I don't think my taste had changed. As I say – I mean, it's quite serious when I say red wine. It's, it's, you know, I, I'm probably – like I didn't drink red wine much when I was younger, whereas I do now, because your taste change in, in, in things. And although I was going to say coffee, but I've always drunk coffee. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I probably notice sweet drinks. I'm not a, as big a fan on sweet drinks as I was when I was younger. But food, sweet food, yeah, I'm still there. But I still love my savoury food as well. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love Thai. See, that's why I love Thai food. 
because I get the best of both both worlds there yeah, because they had you know Thai and, and a lot of Asian food is you, you get so many sweet sauces that go with a savoury dish. So I'm kind of in heaven with Asian food. And clearly, you don't have a weight problem either because you don't <laughs> you don't stack on weight. Which you're very, you're very fortunate there. You must have great metabolism. <laughs> Yeah, I must. I must because I did. Um, you know, I, I always right at the moment. I'm going. Oh, I get a little bit pointy in the tum tum there, but uh, but yeah, I suppose I, I could have a huge beer belly if I wasn't careful. But I, yeah, I, I, I think that just comes about from being incredibly active. I've all my life. I've always been very active and very. I'm I'm, a, I'm always racing around doing something. Even when I'm at home, I'm always finding something to do. Um, I don't like sitting idle. Same as if I go for a holiday, I'm not a lie on the beach guy. I'm a go out and do stuff. I want to go and find an, an, an adventure where I am, yeah. Now, Stefan, if you could hold a, a dinner party, and I reckon you could hold a pretty good one with your skills, and you could invite yeah. anybody you liked, dead or alive, who would be on your dream dinner guest list? Oh, geez. Um, Marcel Marceau, because he'd never interrupt my <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I'd be able to walk on about myself forever and ever, and he'd just give me a really painful look. <laughs> Love it. Um, now, I, 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 you know what? It's, it, people always kind of go, "Oh, I'd like to re- get Cleopatra, and I'd like to get Charlie Chaplin," and uh, you know. And it's like, but you know, I, I think if I was having a dinner party, what, what do you do at dinner party? You 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 eat, drink, and talk, mm-hmm. and. You know the whole thing about having a, a, a social dinner party is for the for the conversation, and so therefore I I think I'd like to invite people who were who could tell great stories and and I mean people that come to mind would be but tell also I love humour as well like if I'm going to sit down my my wife loves I'm always saying my wife I'm always comparing <laughs> me and my wife but she she likes drama whereas I'll, I'll always sit down and I much prefer a comedy. Mm. I love drama as well, but if you know, if my first choice would be comedy. So, so I love to laugh. So, I think somebody who could tell good stories and make me laugh would be the ideal dinner guest. And I think the two people that come to mind immediately would be Billy Connolly and Eddie Izzard. Yeah, yep. um, because they're great at that. And I'd, I'd also invite to go with them. I would invite my friend, uh, invite my friend Max Milligan, who's a, uh, a a worldwide adventurer and photographer, and he's. Probably, if not the most interesting, one of the most interesting people I know. He's like the ah, oh, he's like a David Attenborough and a Billy Connolly and a, a scientist and a, a, a comedian, all wrapped up in one. He's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, um, and a, an amazing photographer. He does uh, coffee table books. I don't know if you you might have come across them. He does these beautiful coffee table books. Um, from countries he goes. So what he does, he'll go and he'll stay in a country for at least six months and he'll get to know the people and the terrain and the culture and all of that and then he'll start photographing and doing the coffee table book. Um, but he's done beautiful ones. He's done one in South America. He's done one in Scotland. He's done one on Lebanon. I mean, he, he's a, a man who's actually done a coffee table book which makes Lebanon and Beirut look like you want to go there, you know, because all we you think of you think of Beirut, and all you can think of is bullet holes in in walls, mm. and you know, war torn and, and you know, crumbling buildings and desolation and sad people. And he's painted a, the exact opposite picture of the place, yeah. um, you know, just through his eye and, and getting to know the place and getting to know the people. So he'd be another one, and my other, my probably my other two guests, obviously, would be my wife. Um, she's a must because she's just. Sensational at being a conversationalist, um, and uh, and Sophie Corbett is uh, Ronnie Corbett's daughter. Right, dear Ronnie had died about a year ago, sadly. Um, but yeah, Sophie's a very dear friend of mine, and she's just outrageous. She's 
she would be such fun at a dinner party, as I know oh, from experience. My dad yeah. used to love the two Ronnies. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew Ronnie reasonably well. He was a, he was a character and a half. Mm. Or half a character in his case. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Very good, Kev. Hey, I don't know if you know the significance of the date of the 18th of March, but um, uh, that is uh, that is the date that this podcast will be released. It was also the date in 1985 when Neighbours first went to air. Wow. First went to air, yeah. Well, see, it's, always, it's funny because that, people always say that's the, the anniversary of Neighbours, but to me the anniversary of Neighbours was the day we started filming in January, three months prior to that. Uh-huh. So, yeah. But yes, I, yes, I, I guess to everybody it's the 18th of March. You obviously yeah. still love being involved. I mean, over the course of um, – you, you had a, a decent break in there, but uh, but what keeps you getting up, going back in and and, uh, and, and getting into Paul Robinson's shoes every day? Uh, you know, first of all, I'm an actor and I'm, I'm – you know, people go, oh, you're just working on a soap. Well, stuff you guys. I'm acting mm. on a soap, doing it every day. And it just makes me fast, it laugh that the um, people who used to uh, be quite derogatory towards me and, and other cast members being on the show because we were just doing a soap and one day we'll get a real acting job. Uh, uh, they, so, those same people now would call over Broken Glass to get a gig yes, on the show yes. because of you know, the accolades that we hold and the respect that the show has now. Mm. But um, So that's first and foremost. I'm an actor. Secondly, uh, I... I I love being busy, as I said before. I love being busy, and it's, it's really weird. Like today, I had, uh, I only went in for one scene. So to me, it's, it's a lot harder to get around one scene than it is to get around ten scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing this this uh, podcast with you, and then I've got an interview with the Radio Times tonight. So uh, you know, I know I'm busy all day. But if I'd gone in and I just had the one scene, I'd sort of be like, um, um, um what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And I. I'm home and probably get out in the garden or something. But um, whereas it, I, I love the mornings that I go in and I've got 10 scenes in a row or eight scenes or 12 scenes in a row because it really gets the momentum up and I just I, I love getting into it. And I, I remember saying, which is probably the answer to your question, uh, is uh, Sarah, is the um, I said to my wife uh, a few years ago, I said, the day that I wake up and I say, I really don't feel like going to work today is the day I shouldn't. That's the day I should stop. Yeah. And fortunately, that day hasn't uh, that hasn't come yet. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm nocturnal because of my chefing years. I'm completely mm. nocturnal, uh, and I think I always will be. Unfortunately, but um, so I, I can't stand early morning. I'm not a morning person at all. That's why I, I, you know, going back to the coffee. I, the first thing that I do in the morning is make myself a nice coffee. And if I if I don't get that coffee until I get to work, I'm kind of very quiet. I'm not grumpy. People think I'm grumpy, and I'm not grumpy. I'm just quiet <laughs> until I've had my coffee um, because coffee is what sort of gears me up for the day. Yeah, fortunately, even though I've had to get up at stupid hours in the morning sometimes and, uh, to get to work, I once I'm there, I'm loving it. And and the other thing is, I, I, is you know, sometimes I'll go, thank goodness I don't listen to grumpy old man's radio anymore, but I used to. <laughs> And I used to, yeah, I, I talk radio is, is, it can be fascinating, but Jesus, it can put you in a bad mood. <laughs> oh, and you yeah. Know why? You just, you know, and, and suddenly, and I analyzed it one day and I went, why am I, why am I listening to this radio? It, all people do is ring up and bitch and moan. It <laughs> sounds like do. Facebook. Yeah, so, yeah, nobody rings up and goes, oh, it's been a fantastic day. Oh, the world's a great place. Mm. No, they, they ring up and bitch and moan. And then, and then the DJ bitches and moans with them. Yeah. And, and so I get to work, and I wonder why I was in such a foul mood. And then I worked it out. It's like ah, so I stopped doing that. 
but even when I did it on the on the days that I would you know very rarely come into work on a a found move because something's happened at home or something's happened on the way to work uh, literally within twenty minutes half an hour I'd be in a great mood again Mm-hmm. Fear there, the fact that I'm doing what I love doing, the people there. It's just, yeah, it's great. I, I think I've got the cushiest job in the world. Yeah. I think Don't you have too. I think many people would be very, very envious. But I'm interested to know also um, offset, I mean, given that you're such a long-standing uh, character in Paul Robinson, uh, <laughs> how often do you get uh, recognised or stopped in the street or are people reluctant to come up to you because your character is perceived as perhaps a bit evil and nasty? Oh, yeah, I've had that. I've had people uh, frightened of me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once, uh, right back in the, in the in the heyday, back in the late 80s, I was over in the UK, and I was uh, I was just staying with my mate over there before just before I lived there. And uh, I, uh, we were getting breakfast. I said, oh, I'm just going to nip down. I'll grab some milk and, and some bread for breakfast. And uh, so I nipped down at the corner shop, and I had never been in there before, and this dear little Indian woman, and she's sort of back from the counter, and I put the bread and the, uh, and the milk on the counter. I said, how much is that? She's sort of, she's, she's cowering back at, at, away from the <laughs> counter, behind the counter. I go, are you all right? And she went, I, I, I thought you were going to neg- negotiate for the price. Oh, uh, but, but I have had I have had people who have been reluctant to come up to me, and then when when they finally get the gumption, or they, you know they they get talked into it by their friend or something, or dragged up to me, they go, "Oh my god, oh you you're not like him at all. Oh no, you're completely opposite." I think, well, yeah, I'm an actor <laughs> anyway. But I do. The recognition is still there on a daily basis. It's just now it's calmed down an awful lot. And particularly in Australia, I mean, Australians are always fairly laid back anyway, even in the, mm. the heady days when the hysteria reigned. People would sort of get excited, excited momentarily, but then it would die down. Whereas over in the UK and Europe, uh, back in those days, it was just, it was mayhem. I, li- I literally, I could not walk down the street. I mm. literally could not walk down the street. And I'm not just me, you know, all of us. I used to have to get my, my mate when I was living with him. Uh, he used to literally have to get, walk out the door before me and scan the street and make sure that there were no fans or paparazzi waiting around. Oh, um, and and they give me the all clear to, to come out of the house, yeah. It's, it's crazy, though. It's surreal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and this, you know, the recognition over in the UK is still very, very excitable. Again, less in London. They're a bit more chilled in London, particularly because I used to work in offices in Regent Street. So I was in Central West End a lot, and people used to see me a lot. So kind of, I guess, the, the, uh, the novelty wore off. But if you go outside London, people get a bit excited. Look, well, it's been our pleasure to have you on uh, our little podcast. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And many, 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 many more years of, uh, of Paul Robinson on Neighbours uh, coming for you, Stefan. Thank you. Thanks, I hope so. Thanks for that, guys. It's been fun. You are listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier, brought to you by Cheese Links, bringing cheese and yogurt making to your kitchen. Cheeselinks.com.au. All right, that's Stefan Dennis. Now, you have a Stefan Dennis bit of memorabilia that I you do. didn't tell him about during the interview. Now, why not? Because I was embarrassed. Why? When what I was have you a got? child, I've got a, uh, I've got a photograph, of a black and white, glossy photo. You know yeah. when they used to send out the, what do they call them, four by sixes or twos or whatever oh, they the are? Oh, the publicity photos. Yeah. 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 Uh, but this is when Neighbours first began on Channel 7, as you know, Channel 7 it said jumped the shark. yay and <laughs> bye-bye, and yeah. then it went to uh, Channel 10. But back in the very... Early, early days. Uh, now, I believe it, it, it was to do with a, a trip down to Moomba with the Currumburra giant earthworm, but oh, I could okay. be making all that up. But I have got a signed photograph from Stefan. I've got one from Elaine Smith, Vicky Blanche, David Clancy, 
Oh, All the big Dasha names. Blachova, oh, yes. Francis Bell. Yeah. Goodness me, they're all just rolling off the tongue there now. There you go. That's Darius, a, Darius Perkins. That's 1985. Because, oh, of course, goodness. a little bit of uh, trivia is that he didn't originally go for the Paul Robinson role. No, that's not I believe what he, he went for, for Des. He went for Des Clark and for the role that went to um, Jason Donovan. Oh. The other brother, I think, mm. and then they said, "No, no, no. We want we want you to be in the show, but we want you to be." And Paul now, Robinson. could you imagine him as anyone other than Paul Robinson? No. And some of the <laughs> the tales he told, yeah. and he's he's right. His character is literally immortal. They, yep. you cannot kill him off. Yep, he's the cockroach of neighbours. <laughs> no, he is not at all. <laughs> thank you, Stefan. All right, thank you, Stefan. Lovely having a chat. Now uh, we have time now for the the Friday food poll. Scotch yes. eggs. Yes, it's a picnic favourite. And just to explain for the people who don't know, it is a boiled egg wrapped in sausagey, mincy goodness and then uh, rolled in breadcrumbs and then sh- deep or shallow fried. Right. Kevin, you look, you, you're screwing your face up again. Well, you know, I'm, I'm me with eggs. I'm funny with eggs oh, anyway. I'll I'm not say. a big egg eater. I love uh, poached eggs. Let's see what the viewers at home had to say. Let's do that. <laughs> Rosie Walton. Like fried ice cream, I'm not sure about the clashing textures. Good Fair point. enough. Joanna Griggs. Absolutely. As long as they're not too overcooked. Yeah, good point. So you want a slightly soft yolk. Colin Bickery, I am thinking it's better than haggis. I do too, Colin. Yeah, I'm with you. Vanessa or Moo says, nope. Kevin Chan says, I haven't tried it before myself. Jim Wilson says, no, thank you. Ann Peacock <laughs> says, no, no thank you. Very polite. Darren Purchase, big yes in caps. Hope for Bellia. I've never tried them, but I think I'm a yay. Skulder says, nay. Lisa, yay. Cooking in Pixel says yay. And Bernie Britton, applause. Pictures of lots of applauding hands. Good on you, Bernie. <laughs> uh, Kerry, absolute yes from me. Yum. Tony Bennett. By the time I get to Scotch Eggs. (laughs) Can we get another song? Sorry, Stefan. Hell yes. You thought I was bad. Uh, Food of the gods. Great with pickled onions or a Branston pickle. You can take the boy out of England, but you'll never take England out of the boy. That sounds delicious. I love a good Branston pickle. Glenn says, Jeepers, creepers, Paddo. I haven't had them for about 60 years. Yay for him. Well, uh, let's uh, go to the doyen of uh, the food poll. Wayne says, this is a really tough one to answer, as it depends on the scotch egg in question. Mm. When done properly, it is a golden wonder of culinary magnificence. (laughs) Mixed properly, reared old bread pork, a free-range soft-boiled egg with a runny yolk and a flaky panko crumb and deep fried, that's a walk-up start to a foodgasm. (laughs) I probably should just finish that. Sadly, however, something as delicious as this is the exception rather than the rule. The other week I used the word wankification to describe the coffee world and it applies equally well to the Scotch egg world. Mm. So many ill-advised and just frankly wrong ingredients have been (laughs) tried like minced prawn, potato and all Mm, sorts of other abominations. Some sound almost edible. Some would make a billy goat lose its lunch. (laughs) Uh, And some recipes forgo the frying process altogether. This is sacrilege. If you want a chickpea mint scotch egg with a curry potato on rice centre... Uh, and then have it baked, you are culinary, in, or clinically, I should say, insane. <laughs> well, you're probably culinary insane too. And you should go into a salad with a plastic spoon so you don't hurt yourself. Yeah. But even worse than a Frankenstein Scotch egg is a cold one. Oh. 
It is not a picnic food. Oh, that's controversial. Well, you said it was earlier. And when cold becomes a strange, rubbery, skinned (laughs) disgrace filled with a mixture of lard and clag with a squash (laughs) ball in the middle. Picnics are stupid anyway as they're easily ruined by cold food that should be hot, rain, sunstroke, ants and ninja seagulls. The only people that enjoy picnics are masochists and children, neither of which should be trusted. So I'll give a tentative yay to the Scotch egg, but on the condition you keep it simple, keep it warm and keep it away from places it doesn't belong. Oh, Wayne, I'm not sure about that. I thought picnic food, so I thought you you would hard boil the yolk for picnic purposes and just have a a soft and runny one for Uh, if you're having it warm. No, the whole thing is the runny oak in it, isn't it? That that would be the... No, not necessarily. If you want to slice it into... um, Yeah, but hard boil, if you do hard boil... And put it on a sanger. You lose me, that's just... Because it oh, smells. Oh, well, maybe I'm just a heathen. But and the nays win. <laughs> the nays have it over the, the over nays the... have it over the yays. Well, I never. No yummy. Wayno, that was that was just superb. Yeah, and very I, good you know, I reckon there's at least three other uh, coffee mug quotes in there that we can pull yep. out there for our food bites coffee mugs. We welcome your soon. feedback at any time, and as you'll have noticed, there it's on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Yep. All the food groups that we cover with uh, all the social media food groups we cover. Yes. Uh, so if you're part of that lynch mob, get involved <laughs> as soon as you possibly can. Hope you enjoyed this edition of uh, the Food Bites podcast. Thanks to Cheese Links. Thank don't you for- to Steph and Dennis. Don't forget that number 0352821084, cheeselinks.com.au. Yeah, Steph was, uh, Stefan was terrific. He was. It's great to have him on the program. More great guests coming soon to Food Bites. Makes me feel good. Oh. Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page and Twitter for recipes, tips and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Brought to you by Cheese Links. Bringing cheese and yoghurt making to your kitchen. All you need to know at cheeselinks.com.au.